Hello there, and thank you for listening to this GCA Sunday morning message. After this morning's message, I had a couple of people request that I make my notes available to them. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to convert my notes to a downloadable PDF, and you will find those notes on my blog site, PastorJimMick.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-J-I-M-M-C dot com. And now back to our regularly scheduled message. Welcome to another Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You can find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty. If you'll turn, please, to 1 John, we will begin reading at uh, chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure.
continue working our way toward teaching about the Trinity, one of the terms that you're going to hear me use a lot is that in describing the Trinitarian nature of God, he is one God in three persons. And you're going to hear that person language a lot because it is important to make the differentiations between the Father and the Son and the Spirit And one of the ways that you can differentiate them is to recognize the difference in personhood between them. Here's what I mean by that. When we talk about God, we know some of his characteristics. We have talked a lot through the years about the attributes of God, the particular characteristics that make him uniquely God. And we know things about his personality, his character, the things that anger him, the things that please him, and the very fact that he can have responses like that to us demonstrate that he has personality. 
He has individual personhood. As we read through the Gospels, we read a lot about Jesus, and we understand that Jesus was a person, a human. He took on human flesh and blood. We know that he got tired. We know that he got hungry. All of those things are demonstrations of the fact that he had personhood, humanity to him. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit, very frequently we speak of the Holy Spirit as sort of a force out there, just kind of a general concept. We speak sometimes of the Holy Spirit as it instead of him. And so this morning, I'm really going to concentrate on demonstrating the personhood of the Holy Spirit as unique and individual from the personhood of God the Father and the personhood of Jesus Christ, the Son. So this morning, we're just going to look at many, many verses in the Bible that demonstrate that the Holy Spirit of God is himself an individual personality, that he has personhood, and that way when we get to our Trinitarian teaching and we talk about the person of the Father, the person of the Son, and the person of the Spirit, despite all being one God, you will know what I'm talking about when I say that phrase. So that's the plan for this morning. For instance, when we talk about the personhood of the Holy Spirit, we see personality traits of his, personality characteristics of his. Like, for instance, the fact that the Holy Spirit speaks. In Hebrews 3, 7, we read, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Okay, that is a demonstration that the Holy Spirit of God is the speaking agency. He himself also speaks to our hearts, reminds us of things. That's one of the things that we read in the last couple of weeks that Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he's going to remind you of everything that I said. He's not going to speak of himself, but he's going to take the things that God has given me. I'm going to give them to him and he's going to give them to you. And so the Holy Spirit of God speaks that demonstrates his personhood. Now, I know I just launched right in. Are you all following so far? You get what we're going after this morning? Because this is all you're getting this morning. I'm just going to show you many, many different attributes, characteristics of the Holy Spirit so that we get a fully orbed understanding and concept of the Holy Spirit so that we don't just think of him as some kind of force out there, sort of like gravity or something, that he's actually a person. For instance, the Holy Spirit thinks, the Holy Spirit reasons. Acts 15.28 says, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. The very fact that that statement was made as the early church was gathering, that the Holy Spirit reasoned it through and decided not to lay anything on you besides these essential elements demonstrates to you that the Holy Spirit has a reasoning capacity. He thinks, he speaks, and he understands. According to 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 11, we read, 
But just as it is written, things which the eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through his spirit. For the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God searches all things. Even the depths of God. That's kind of hard to think of, that the Holy Spirit searches the depths of God. That the Holy Spirit himself is the only spirit who could understand God and then convey to us the characteristics, the personality, the understanding of God. The Spirit himself searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit of God has understanding. And the comparison that Paul drew for us is the only person who really knows what's going on inside any individual is that individual. Years ago, I was at the conference out in Gladeville, and one of my black preacher friends said to me, you don't know what it's like to be black. And I said to him, "Uh, nobody knows what it's like to be anybody else, because that's a fact. I don't know what it's like to be Micah, and I'm thankful for that. I don't know what it's like to be anybody else. You're the only one who knows your particular human experience. You're the only one who hears the silly little thoughts that rattle around in your silly little head. You're the only person who knows that. Therefore, Paul could say that among men, it is only those individual men who know the thoughts of the man, and nobody else knows it. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. He said, only the Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God. Therefore, if you're going to know anything about God, especially if you're going to know the thinking of God, if you're going to know the teaching of God, if you're going to understand the word of God, you have to have someone who knows God in order to explain God to you. Because you cannot figure out God by yourself. Well, that's the function of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to take the things of God, which belong to Christ, remind you of those things that Christ said and that Christ taught, and then take those things and deliver them to you. Because he is the only one who knows intimately the thoughts of God, since he is the very Spirit of God. So again, the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential in the salvation process. Yes, The Father chose you before the foundation of the world. Yes, Christ died for you and paid your sin debt utterly and completely. But if that was all they had done, you would still have no knowledge of God or what Christ had done. The only reason that you know, that you understand, that you comprehend the things that God has already done for you The only way that you understand the things that Christ has already done for you is that the Holy Spirit, who knows the thoughts of God, has told you about God. And that's where comprehension of God comes from. Am I boring you yet? No. Okay, good. Wait for it. I'll get there. (laughs) It is the Holy Spirit of God 
who wills, determines, and then distributes according to his own decisions. That's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read verses 8 to 11. He's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And among those gifts, the person who is determining who gets what gifts is the Holy Spirit. For to one, writes Paul, is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Paul took the time to write through the Spirit. It is through the Spirit of God that we are given understanding and the word of wisdom. And to another, a word of knowledge, according to that same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But the one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. So according to Paul, it is the willfulness of the Holy Spirit, the decision-making of the Holy Spirit, that distributes gifts within the body of Christ for the benefit of the entire body. And because he's a lot smarter than you, he knows what the appropriate gifting is for you. And he knows what's going to benefit the whole body of Christ. Therefore, it is up to him with his knowledge of God and with his knowledge of you to determine what gifts from God are going to come to you. So, so far we have determined that the Holy Spirit of God speaks, that he reasons, that he thinks and that he understands, that he wills, and that he distributes according to his own decisions. But then beyond that, Paul even tells us that the Holy Spirit of God feels, has emotion. Do you think about the Holy Spirit as having feelings? We're told in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who resides inside you doesn't leave, doesn't exit, doesn't take a vacation when you go and do the things that he knows are in rebellion against God. He is there with you, and you're dragging him with you through your muck and your mire and your lousy decisions. And Paul tells us that grieves the Holy Spirit. That's a feeling. That's an emotion. It is the Holy Spirit who gives personal fellowship to us. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He's the one who gives us personal fellowship 
with the Father and the Son. You will also notice, by the way, that in 2 Corinthians 13, 14 that I just read, you see the operation of the Trinity because we are working our way toward the teaching of the Trinity. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and it is the love of God that is the reason you got the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ And because you are known by God and because you understand anything about Christ, therefore you have fellowship with God, with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, and with all the saints. And that fellowship is determined, is kept by, is held by the unity of the Holy Spirit who indwells all of us. He speaks, he reasons, he thinks, he understands, he wills, he distributes, he decides, he feels, and he gives us personal fellowship. All of those things are qualities of personhood, which is why, again, we're going to say that God is one God. We don't argue about that. He's one God, but he is one God in three individual persons who each have individual personality individual characteristics. Okay, so given that list so far, it would seem like uh, that would be adequate. That would seem like that's enough. That would seem like I was done. I should move on to a different topic. Am I going to? No! No, 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 because there's so much more to say about the Holy Spirit. As you continue reading the Bible, you find all these different qualities and characteristics of the Holy Spirit that I, for one, find just fascinating. For instance, have you ever thought about the fact that it is the Holy Spirit that gives life? That's what David wrote in the Psalms. Psalm 104, starting at verse 29, he wrote, You hide your face, and they are dismayed. You take away their spirit, they expire and return to the dust. You send forth your spirit, and they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in all his work. You might recall, two weeks ago, when we were introducing this concept of the Holy Spirit, I said, you know, all the way back in Genesis, at the very beginning of creation, the first thing we read is that the Spirit of God was above the earth, which was without form, and it was void. And it was through the power of the Holy Spirit, the creative power of the Holy Spirit, that all things began being made. Here Paul picks that up and says, when you send forth your spirit, they are created. But he equally said, if you take away your spirit, they die. Without the spirit of God, not only do you not exist, but you have no concept of God. You have no emotional capacity to understand the things of God. And so it is necessary that you have the Spirit of God because if he takes it away, they expire and they return to the dust. But you send forth your Spirit and they are created. One of the things that we are told by Jesus himself, and we read it last week, 
was that in order to see the kingdom of God, we have to be born again, born anothen, born from above. We have to be recreated, regenerated. Our first birth is not adequate. We have to be born again. And what is that born again experience? It's when we receive the Holy Spirit of God. So it is the Holy Spirit of God who not only created in all of creation, it is the Holy Spirit of God who is recreating you right now. And he is doing that through bringing you the knowledge and the understanding of the things of God. According to the book of Job, it is the Holy Spirit of God who preserves life. Job 34, starting in verse 12 Surely God will not act wickedly, and the Almighty will not pervert justice. Who gave him authority over the earth? That question is implying he already has that authority. Nobody gave it to him. He has it because he created the whole earth. And who has laid on him the whole world? If he should determine to do so, If he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh together would perish and man would return to the dust. So that goes all the way back to the oldest book in the Bible. The book of Job declares that without the spirit of God, there is no life, there is no creation And God, who has authority over the whole world, if he were ever to take his spirit back, that would be the destruction of the entire creation. The world itself would collapse on itself, and people would return to the dust and go back to what they were made from. In the New Testament, Paul tells us something that I think is astounding. He tells us that it is the Holy Spirit of God who empowered not only the resurrection of Christ, but the resurrection of you individually, you yourself. If you know anything about God, you were not born knowing that. You were born like the whole rest of the fleshly world, an enemy of God, not knowing anything, being in the dark. He had to enlighten you. He had to wake you up. And Paul likens that to a spiritual rebirthing a resurrection a regeneration within you by the power of the Holy Spirit now this is just really hard to get a hold of the same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead that's the foundation of all Christianity that Jesus got up from the dead if you don't believe that Jesus got up from the dead you're in the wrong place this morning Go find somewhere else to be and something else to do. There's a coffee shop up the street. See ya. (laughs) If you don't believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, then you don't believe genuine biblical Christianity. What was the power of God that raised Jesus Christ up from the dead? It was the same power that raised you from your spiritual darkness and brought you to the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That same power is still at work in the world. According to Romans 8, 11, Paul writes, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if you have the Holy Spirit of God, 
According to Paul, you have the same spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from physical death. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's astounding. I mean, I'm a measly little, mortally little, wormy little guy. Don't agree too loudly. That is not complimentary. Don't amen that. Who amen that? And yet, the idea that the God of ages, the one who is in charge of all creation, the one with infinite knowledge and omnipresence, the one who has all the power and all the authority in heaven, hell, and earth forever, the fact that he would take some morsel, some piece of his actual character and power and, and put that in me in order to raise me from my spiritual deadness, to bring me to that knowledge of life, to bring me to the knowledge of God, to understand his word, to understand what Jesus Christ did for me. The only way I'm going to know any of that, appreciate any of that, and live by any of that is if the same spirit of God who raised Jesus up from the grave was in me, raising me to that knowledge. And that's true of you too. And you should be astounded by that. That's not the kind of thing that you just take for granted and go, yeah, yeah, that happened. Yeah. <laughs> the God of ages put some of his spirit inside me to seal me as a down payment, as the guarantee of everything else he's going to do for me. It is the Holy Spirit of God who gives power for service. Again, kind of a, a big concept for us to hold on to. If God were to tell you, just in your normal human flesh, if he were to tell you to go do something for him, you don't have the ability, nor do you have the will, the determination. You're not going to be able to serve him after your mortal flesh. And so it takes the Holy Spirit of God inhabiting you to empower you to be able to do the things that God requires of you. Did I just blow your mind? Sometimes you have to kind of duct tape your head closed to hold on to some of the things the Bible says about us. For instance, you probably know the name Samson. Do you remember the name Samson with his long hair? He is the antithesis of me <laughs> with his long curly locks. When he, Samson, came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him, and the spirit of Yahweh came upon him mightily so that the ropes that were on his arms were like flax that had been burned in a fire and his bonds dropped off his hands and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and he reached out and he took it and he killed a thousand men with it. He couldn't do that after his flesh. He didn't have the ability to do that until the spirit of God was upon him and empowered him to do that. Here, I'll give you another example. In 1 Samuel 16, starting at verse 12, we read, 
So he sent and brought David in. And that was David's father, Jesse, went and got David. David was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of Yahweh came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Before David could be king in Jerusalem over the collective 12 tribes of Israel, before he could defend God's righteousness according to God's law, before he could hear the word of God through the prophets of God, before he could do anything for God, he first had to have the spirit of God on him, empowering him to do the work that God called him to. Now that, by the way, is universally true of all of us. If God lays himself on you, if God requires something of you, if God calls you to his service, if God calls you to walk out your life as a Christian person on this planet, you don't have that ability. You're not going to be able to do that unless the Spirit of God empowers you to do it. And then you won't care that you're different than the rest of the world. Then you won't care that you're missing out on some things. You'll be so consumed with the knowledge and with the power of God that he, through you, will accomplish the things that he is determined to accomplish. Because the Holy Spirit of God is overwhelming, overpowering, and get this right, irresistible. We talk a lot about irresistible grace. When we talk about the doctrines of grace or the tulip doctrines, we talk about the irresistibility of God and the irresistibility of his grace. In other words, if God's out to get you, he's going to get you. Did you wake up one day and just choose, I'm going to go to God now? No, it was God who chose you, who drew you, who empowered you. He's overpowering, he's overwhelming, and he is absolutely irresistible. If God is determined to give you his spirit in the process of drawing you to himself, you cannot resist that Holy Spirit because he's more powerful than you are. 1 Samuel 19, starting in verse 18, talking again about David as king It says that David fled and escaped and came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed at Naoth. And it was told to Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to go take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, With Samuel standing and presiding over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. Okay, I'll shorten that story for you. King Saul hates King David. He knows that David is going to become the next king of Israel. It's not going to go to Saul's children, to his progeny. So he's out to kill David. He sends an army of people to go find David. And when they find David, David has Saul with him, the prophet, 
and there is a company of other prophets. And the Spirit of God on David and the prophets is such that when the messengers from Saul get there, they can't resist the Spirit, and they join in the prophesying. But wait, the story gets better. Then it was told to Saul, and he sent other messengers, and they prophesied. But wait, it's not over yet. So Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. No surprise there. Saul just keeps sending people to go get David, my enemy, and bring him back to me. And all the messengers who show up there are overwhelmed by the Spirit of God, and they have no choice but to stay there in the midst with Samuel and David, and they're all proclaiming the glories of God together. That's not why they went there. They were overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. Then, he himself, Saul himself, went to Ramah and came as far as the large well that is in Sekhu, and he asked and he said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, behold, they are at Naoth in Ramah. And he proceeded there to Naoth in Ramah. And the Spirit of God came upon him also, so that he went along prophesying continually until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes, all those kingly robes that he was wearing. And he too prophesied before Samuel, and he laid down naked all the day and all the night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? That whole story shows you the irresistibility of the Spirit of God when he's out to get you. And I think if you're serious with yourself, you'd have to say, yeah, that's kind of what happened to me. I was just going along in my little life, doing my little thing. And then something got a hold of me. Something overwhelmed me. Something drew me. Something attracted me to the things of God. And it was unavoidable. I couldn't escape it. Because after all, we're talking about an all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient God. And you think you're going to resist him if he's out to get you? Suddenly, you'd have to be also omnipotent. You'd have to know everything and have all the power and be everywhere at once in order to resist a God like that. And you're not that big. You're not strong enough to resist a God who is out to get you. You got that point? Got it. Yeah. Okay, so then, am I done? No. No, not even close. I'm just, I've got, I got more. Just hold on. It is the Spirit of God who moves people and guides people. So those of you who live right here in Middle Tennessee right now, why? Why do you live here? I mean, it's, it's a whole lot more than just it's a tax-free state. Why do you live here? God moved you here. God brought you here. I would go so far as to say, why are you in GCA this morning? Because it's the Spirit of God that brought you here. You woke up this morning, you got dressed, you ate a little breakfast, and you said, I'm going to church. That's not natural human behavior. 
Natural human behavior is, it's Sunday, I need to sleep in. I work all week, I need a nap. I kind of need a nap anyway. But that's just me. It's the Spirit of God who moves people and guides them. Ezekiel 37.1, the hand of the Lord was so obvious on Ezekiel in order to demonstrate that it is the Spirit of God who moves people, that it actually literally moved him. Here's what it says. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley that was full of dry bones. You see this kind of thing all over the place. For instance, when you see Philip baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch, they both went down into the water together, and the eunuch was baptized. And when the eunuch comes up out of the water, Philip's gone. And we find out later that he appears in Azotus, and he's over there preaching. Why? Because the Spirit of God can move people and can put people, guide people, take people where he wants them to be. Here's one that I really, really like. As if I haven't liked the others. But it is the Spirit of God that drives out demons, demonstrating that power, that dunamis power, that overwhelming power, that irresistible power that God has. One of the reasons that I really like the irresistibility of God is that He is irresistible across the board, which means. Even your enemies or even the demons and the devils of hell cannot resist him. Whatever he determines, that's what's going to happen. And you see that all the way through the Bible. When you see things like the demoniac at the Gadarenes, when they wanted to take pigs, they weren't allowed to do that without asking Jesus. They could only do what he said they could do. Book of Job, which I mentioned a few moments ago, there was a conversation. God said, if you consider Job, my servant, how he is upright and how he eschews evil, he tells Satan, you can go and you can mess with his stuff, but you can't touch him. Satan himself is limited by the will and the power of God. Satan comes back to God and says, yeah, but skin for skin, if you let me touch his skin, then he's going to curse you to your face. And God says, okay, you can touch his skin, but you can't kill him. It's all up to God. And so you see this throughout the Bible, the power of God over the demons, over the evil of this world. I think we would all agree at this moment that the world seems really wretched. Yes. And just evil. There are so many things that we see on a daily basis that you think, this is just so evil. How can this be? How can people endure this? How can this actually be happening? We, as a nation, have just gotten used to the idea that we're just going to kill millions of babies. Okay, that's evil. But we're used to it. We've become accustomed to it. The world is just evil. Okay, so if the world is really evil, are you going to be overcome by the world? Are you going to succumb to the world? Are you going to succumb to the evil that is out there, the spiritual wickedness in high places? Are you going to succumb to that? No. Why not? Because it is the overwhelming, irresistible power of the Spirit of God within you that is protecting you and keeping you from the wickedness of this earth. 
The power of the Holy Spirit casts out devils according to Matthew 12. Starting in verse 24. When the Pharisees heard this, they said, they're talking about Jesus and the fact that he cast out demons. They said, this man casts out demons by Beelzebub, who is the ruler of demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And any city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, then he's divided against himself. And then how will his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Consequently, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It is the power of the Holy Spirit, emphasizing the adjective Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that is casting out demons. That, by the way, is a really good thing to know. It's really good to know that the power of God is irresistible and casts out demons because that means if you have the Holy Spirit of God inside you, if he has been deposited in you, if he dwells within you, then there's no demon, no devil, no denizen of hell that can overtake you, overwhelm you, or possess you, or keep you. If you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, that is the superior, more powerful spirit, and therefore you are safe from all the evil of this world and all the spiritual wickedness that exists in high places. Because the Holy Spirit of God casts out devils. The Holy Spirit of God was the promised power that Jesus promised to his apostles. He told his apostles, wait, wait here. Don't start yet. Don't go out and preach me until you've received power from on high. And what did they receive? The Holy Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit of God is the power to preach the gospel of Christ. Acts 1, I'm going to read two verses, verses 7 and 8. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Then you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Okay, so here's men who had been walking and listening to him for three and a half years. They've heard his teaching. They've seen the miracles. They know what he's done. Some of them are going to sit down and write. And those are the Gospels that we have to this very day. You would think after three and a half years of that kind of friendship and intimacy with him that they would be capable of going out and telling other people about him. And yet he said, don't do that until you've received power from the Holy Spirit. Then you'll be able. Then you'll be empowered. Then you'll be capable of going out and telling other people about me. Because you have to have that spirit of truth and you have to have that spirit empowering you 
in order to be brave enough, in order to be apologetic enough, in order to be determined enough to go out and tell this wicked world the glorious things of Jesus Christ. You can't do that in your flesh. You have to have the power of God doing it. I'm nearly done. I think it's the word nearly that's doing the heavy lifting in that sentence. Nearly done. He empowers his own word by that same Holy Spirit. According to Romans 15, verses 18 and 19, Paul writes, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul just said, as he was establishing churches, as he was preaching, as he was writing two-thirds of the New Testament, as he was promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ, he admits it was only through the power of the Holy Spirit of God that I had the capability to do any of that. In Matthew 3... Starting at verse 16, Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately out of the water. And behold, the heavens opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, a voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus was led up into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In that verse, we begin again transitioning from just teaching about the Holy Spirit to teaching about the Trinity itself. You see all three members of the Trinity in that event. Jesus was being baptized. He comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit from heaven descends on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, God himself, says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the next thing he does as our perfect substitute, as our perfect representative, is that he is led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to defeat Satan on our behalf. It is by the Spirit of God that everything, 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 have I emphasized the everything yet? Everything, everything in your Christian life, in your Christian walk, in your Christian understanding, everything that you're going through, the good and the bad, the difficult and the blessed. All the stuff you're going through gets to you by the Holy Spirit of God. If the Holy Spirit of God didn't empower it and didn't determine it and didn't distribute it, you wouldn't be going through it. He empowers everything in our Christian life and our Christian walk. And he especially empowers the preaching of God's word. Luke 4, starting at verse 13. When the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread through all the surrounding districts, and he began teaching in their synagogues, and he was being praised by all. 
because it is by the Holy Spirit of God that anybody is capable of telling the truth about God. Shall we review for a moment? Yes, let's. The Holy Spirit of God speaks. The Holy Spirit of God reasons. He thinks. He understands. He wills. And he distributes according to his own decisions. He feels. He has emotion. He gives personal fellowship. The Holy Spirit gives life. And the Holy Spirit of God preserves life. He empowered the resurrection, therefore he empowers our own internal spiritual reawakening. He is the foundation of our being born again and regenerated. He gives us power for service to God. He is overpowering, he's overwhelming, he's irresistible. He guides people, he moves people. He makes determinations in all our lives. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that preserves us from all evil and casts out devils. It is the Spirit of God who promised power to his apostles. So it was the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled the apostles to preach the gospel that to this very day we're still reading about, that we're still promoting that we're still teaching about that is all through the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit of God who empowers the word of God he empowers the preaching of God's word so everything you know about God through his word you know by the power of the Holy Spirit and if you've ever heard anybody tell you about God and it ever made sense to you not only was it because the Holy Spirit was speaking empowering the person promoting the gospel but then also giving you the ability to hear those words. In other words, he's in all of it. From the beginning to the end, the entirety of your Christian experience is all wrapped up in, involved in, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Here, let me finish with this. This is Isaiah 61, 1, and then it's repeated in Luke 4, 18. Jesus stood up in the temple And he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because Yahweh hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. In other words, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that Christians persevere that Christians can live by faith and that Holy Spirit is going to lead you inexorably to Christ and the only way you're going to understand Christ or the necessity of Christ in your life the only way you're going to comprehend what Christ has already accomplished for you the only way you're going to understand the peace and security that comes from knowing that he ever lives to make intercession for us The fact that you know confidently that he is at the right hand of God interceding for you. Everything you know about Christ, the whole reason that you are a Christian, the ability to talk about Christ or comprehend anything about Christ is because the Holy Spirit of God, that intelligent, regenerating, creative Holy Spirit of God, 
that formed everything and raised Christ from the dead is the spirit that has been deposited in you, and you didn't deserve it. It is nothing but grace and grace and more grace and the astounding grace of God demonstrated by everything he is doing through his holy spirit. You got it? I could have just said that and saved everybody in hours. Is that what you're saying? All right. I'm um, done. See ya.
the more we uh, examine the role and the personhood of the of the Holy Spirit, the more it reveals to us just the uh, the complete power and control that the Holy Spirit has over us, and uh, how little we contribute to that. It is entirely the role of the Holy Spirit. Um, I think sometimes we like to feel like we're responsible for some good deeds we feel like we might have done, but it's the Spirit working in us. It's it's not us. We're incapable of doing any of that. And even the most basic and fundamental things as far as coming to our God, uh, we can't do without the Spirit. We were looking at Romans 8 and one of the roles of the Spirit there is listed the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't even know how to pray, what we're about to do, the prayer requests we're going to receive, and the prayer that we give to God. We don't even know how to do that because of our weakness, but because of His grace, the Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us. So there's that person, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So I'm thankful that we can pray together, we can have our prayer requests together, and the Spirit can clean all of that up and take it up to God, uh, and God is praised through it, but it's only because of His Spirit. We appreciate you listening to this week's Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. We encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for books, Q&As, and our ever-expanding archive of audio sermons. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.